Chapter Six of the Steel Hammer. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. The Steel Hammer by Louis Ulbach. Translated by Elizabeth Warmley Latimer. Chapter Six: A Disagreeable Visitor that gaston had passed a whole evening at home was a great event in the household when he went early the next morning into his wife's chamber where her little son was already by her side she received him with a smile and held out both her hands to him with absolute confidence of heart so it is all true you will stay with us yes replied gaston who was rather pale, smiling and kissing his wife's hands. "'I am going to be wholly yours, but only upon condition that we do not remain here, and that we leave Paris immediately.' "'Are you afraid of temptation?' "'Yes, that is what I fear.' "'Well, then I will hurry our preparations. Tomorrow, if you like, we can start and go first to Geneva.' Gaston was determined to be funny he hummed a tune but his teeth chattered it is not very hot in switzerland in march he said cold is said to promote virtue very good then we'll go to geneva responded gaston was it the thought of his journey that excited him for all that morning monsieur de monterey could not stay in one place two or three times he seemed disposed to go outdoors but though gabriel did nothing to retain him he stopped suddenly put his head upon a table sat down stretched himself and very soon began to walk up and down restlessly making the heels of his boots sound sharply on the polished floor he is not used to being shut up in the house said gabriel he needs fresh air after breakfast gaston tried to go to sleep in an easy-chair his wife took some worsted work and sat down near him at the end of about half an hour the front door-bell rang the sleeper who was not asleep started up suddenly who is ringing in that way he cried nervously his voice was hoarse and angry had the bell been pulled louder than it should have been or was the bell itself more loud that day in sound a servant came in and said that a man wished to speak with monsieur de monterey he emphasized his being a man as implying that he was not a visitor what's his name he did not give his name go and ask him i did he said that monsieur de monterey did not know him then i can't see him what sort of a man is he anyhow i don't exactly know sir he is not badly dressed but certainly not like a gentleman he is rather shabby he had no gloves on he is rather like a sheriff officer the valet said sheriff's officer with an apparent innocence but yet he hesitated his comparing this personage to a sheriff's officer was rather singular unless by chance he as his master's accomplice was in the habit of receiving bearers of protested bills gabrielle laughed and rolling up her work said a sheriff's officer if he is a sheriff's officer let him in at once 
the servant went out and introduced a moment after a person of equivocal appearance and of uncertain apparel who did in truth bear some resemblance to the men who serve writs he was more polite however than such persons whether the politeness were real or feigned excuse me madame and you too monsieur he said in an easy tone in which no sheriff's officer would have spoken even had he brought back a note that had been paid excuse me if i take the liberty to trouble you but i am here upon a matter of great importance and i trust monsieur de montrey may be able to give me some information gaston reddened bit his lip which was quivering and made a sign to the man to explain gabrielle grew very pale and said who are you sir an employee of the government this reply told nothing of what branch of the government that of the prefecture the prefecture of the seine excuse me madame i thought i had told you the prefecture of police footnote in france the word police applies only to detectives this street duties performed by our police are in cities confided to saint jean de ville and in the country to gendarmes whose officer is called a brigadier translator and a footnote gabrielle drew back in her armchair and dared not look at her husband though she said firmly go on monsieur what can we have to do with the prefecture of police this is what it is madame yesterday morning was found in the bois de boulogne the body of a man who had been murdered murdered knocked on the head one may say for he did not bleed much beside him lay an open pocket-book in which the men in charge of the bois found the card of a restaurant we went to the place there they told us that the night before the peasant the man was a peasant had supped in the salon on the first story at a table next to one where monsieur de monterey and some of his friends from the club were having supper and the commissaire de police thought that monsieur might perhaps give us some information but i know nothing absolutely nothing replied gaston impatiently and nervously do you mean to say that that miserable man i saw him there of course i did not know him i did not know where he came from what do you expect me to tell you it is not usual to come and worry people on the plea that they took supper in the same room as a drunkard that's true he was drunk said the detective if that's all you want to know said gaston now you know it i have nothing more to tell you excuse me monsieur but i want to know everything about that supper there were it appears at another table some women the head of the police has their names and addresses yes i think it very strange you should come here and talk to me about such people especially before madame de monterey madame will be so good as to excuse me i have my orders and am bound to execute them is it true that this unfortunate man boasted during supper of having a great deal of money about him i think he did did he show his pocket-book yes and let the women see his money he paid for them too very likely did they go out before he did i think they did that is a very important point to ascertain one of them might have pointed him out to one of the roughs who are always such women's friends he may have followed him 
You don't know, monsieur, if the unlucky man made any appointment. What extraordinary questions you are asking me, replied Gaston haughtily. Do you suppose I know what he did? Do you imagine I concerned myself with what was going on at the table next me? We left the man at the table, and if anything surprises me, it is that he should have had the notion and the strength to take so long a walk on foot after such a supper. Where was he going? Yes, my opinion is that he might have been enticed, misled. Do you happen to know if he left in a carriage? No, monsieur. I should think it very probable. He may have gone after one of those women. They may have made him still more tipsy. Who knows but that they knocked him on the head as he lay drunk, and had him carried in a carriage to where you found him? That supposition is one that has already occurred to Monsieur le Commissaire of Police. It seems very likely. At any rate, my friends, whose names they probably gave you at the restaurant as well as mine, can tell you just as much as I have done, but they can tell you no more. I cannot imagine why you have done me the honour to come here and cross-examine me. It is not a cross-examination, monsieur. It is a simple inquiry, very important nevertheless, and I have been ordered to see you. Your name was given first, being the one best known in the restaurant, but your friends will probably be questioned, too. And what use will you make of the very little I can tell you? Oh, we shall follow it up. In the pocket-book of the deceased was found a letter from a notary, directing him to be present at the reading of a will. He probably went there and received a large sum of money, which he was carrying about him. Where was he after he left the notary's office till he ate his supper? Did he tell anyone else about his legacy? These things we have yet to discover. Meantime, we only know that two hours before the crime was committed, the man in question sat near you at a restaurant and supped there, that women of loose character got him to pay for their supper, and that they found out what a rich prey such a man might be. As far as these facts go, do you corroborate the testimony of the waiters at the restaurant? Yes, monsieur, all that is perfectly exact. I thank you in the name of the government. Gaston, struggling against an agitation which he could hardly control, asked, "'Is it likely that I shall be called as a witness?' "'Probably you may.' "'But there is nothing more that I can possibly say.' "'I do not know. Neither do you know, monsieur, if there may not be something else that the court may wish to ask you.' "'Ah!' Gaston seemed very much provoked by this threat of being summoned as a witness, and offended by the sort of magisterial tone assumed by the detective in addressing him. "'I was about starting on a journey,' he said, with much annoyance. "'You can go, monsieur, provided you leave word where we may find you. Your written testimony attested by the judge in another department can be taken if necessary.' I'm glad to know it. Here Gabrielle, who had been listening with deep attention, intervened and gently but firmly said, We can put off our journey if the law needs us, monsieur. Gaston looked at his wife with a startled air. Besides which, she said, with a faint smile, our journey will be all the more pleasant for being made a little later. We were leaving rather too early. Gaston dared not object, but he bit his nails savagely. "'It is also possible,' continued the detective, 
that these circumstances of great value in the preliminary inquiry may be found to have no bearing on the case when we get on the track of the criminal the notary may be able to hasten the discovery of the truth and throw considerable light on our present information the notary asked gaston almost with a smile the detective hesitated fearing that he might have betrayed the cause of inquiry but with a man of such social consequence as Monsieur de Monterey, he might surely allow himself to go a little further than was usual in such cases, and besides, this underling of the police had been hurt by the haughty manners of Gaston. He was not sorry to be able to show the supercilious gentleman that he knew more than he did about some things, and that the police department knew more than all the world. If the notary he said with an air of familiarity intended to nettle gaston and which avenged him far more than he could estimate if the notary has kept the numbers on the banknotes that he gave him what about the numbers cried gaston he put one hand up to his face to hide a nervous twitching that he could not control and struck his nails into his cheeks to hide the pallor do you suppose the notary dumb continued the detective complacently without looking at monsieur de monterey so well pleased was he to spread himself and to hold forth that is a precaution that notaries are very apt to take and always ought to watchmakers always do why do they asked gabriel in a sweet and gracious voice even going so far as to touch with the end of one finger the elbow of the detective so that he might face round to her and turn his back upon her husband please tell me what watchmakers have to do with it she probably knew already all that she asked for but she appeared to listen with the greatest interest to what was told her about the numbering of watches in their gold and silver cases the employee of the government told her in illustration of his subject quite a long story about a robbery he had been detailed to get up the case from the first and thanks to the number in a watch pledged at the mont de piete he had discovered the thief a person who had not been suspected he had been a young man of good family who to pay off a small debt at a gaming-table had slipped the watch off the looking-glass of a friend who had hung it up there gabrielle as she listened kept nodding her head to encourage the narrator to proceed and to give her all the details of the robbery she interrupted him now and then to pay him compliments on his sagacity she said how much she admired the skill of the police who seemed to find out everything oh sometimes our game escapes us said the triumphant detective modestly gaston meantime had been recovering himself and his nervousness was no longer perceptible the detective departed charmed with the affability of madame de monterey and without any ill-will towards her husband for his stiffness he did not say he was coming back they did not ask him if he were likely to come but gabrielle without any affectation of unreasonable politeness but as if she were just about to go through the antechamber herself showed him out as if he had been a visitor in the antechamber she found her little boy at play make a bow to monsieur she said and be graceful roger for he is the inspector that government sends round to see if all the little boys were very good and never tell stories 
she laughed as she said this the detective was more than charmed to be thus brought forward in furtherance of such a great lady's maternal solicitude ah said he in a familiar friendly tone but i see there is nothing for me to do here and that this little gentleman is always good and never tells a story the boy raised his head proudly drew himself up and with a bold little air which was as it were a bud of truthfulness said i am not always a good boy monsieur but it is true i never tell stories mamma would be so sorry he is the very image of his father said the detective who thought he was saying the most flattering thing possible to madame de montrey gabrielle was looking down and had her fingers on her child's curly hair she did not disclaim this flattery against which she protested in her heart but when the police agent was out of the door and she found herself alone with roger she seized him wildly in her arms and covered him with kisses saying as she did so you are right my darling never tell a lie never 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 then she said to herself no no he must never be like his father he never shall i love him too dearly i love them both too well for that she was just leaving the child to his play when instinctively looking at the parlour door she took his hand and let him in with her gaston was standing up but moving his feet nervously he went up to his wife is it true that we are not to start at once i wish to be off immediately he lowered his eyelids as liars do when they are losing their assurance little roger looked at his papa gravely the man was frightened by the look the child gazed at him with a man's boldness gabriel answered we will leave as soon as we can you heard what he said ah if we were only to go off this morning it was not possible you will regret it in a day or two mon ami we shall know just where we stand and then we can stay or go as we please without seeming to run away gabrielle's words were uttered with authority and yet she spoke with a gentleness that was almost plaintive gaston very wroth began marching up and down the salon his child's presence prevented his giving way before him perhaps it did him the service of preventing some fatal violence gabrielle was sitting down and held her son before her she did not speak and little roger stood marvelling at the passion of his father and showing his astonishment so plainly that it checked gaston after trembling a few moments monsieur de montrey said he had a chill it is anything but warm here he growled there had been a fire in the salon that morning but it was nearly out gabrielle instead of ringing for a servant took a stick of wood herself out of a box covered with worsted work and put it on the fire gaston came up and watched the flame which caught rapidly it must be cold in switzerland you are right he said to gabrielle we had better go a little later after a pause we might go to nice she did not answer then came a minute's silence she rang the bell the man-servant came in have you done what i told you yesterday 
she said to him. "'Yes, madame, I went and got it back an hour ago. Well, bring it to me.' The man left the room. Gaston was warming himself, and had paid no attention to the words that passed between his wife and the servant. The latter came back, holding in his hand Monsieur de Monterey's cane, or rather a new one. Gabrielle rose, took the stick, which she concealed by holding her arm down in a fold of her dress, waited until the valet had left the room, and when she was again alone with her husband and her son, she went resolutely up to Gaston. "'Why did you tell me a falsehood yesterday?' she asked him. Gaston turned round angrily. "'About what do you think I lied to you?' "'Oh, about nothing in particular. Why did you not tell me you had broken your cane?' "'Who told you that?' He was livid. His eyes seemed to turn in his head. "'I found it, and I have had it repaired,' said Gabrielle. "'It was a present from me.' I give it back to you. And smiling, though she felt the moisture rising on her forehead, very pale and hardly able to stand, she held out to him the cane she had had mended. Gaston gave a cry, drew back then, suddenly springing at his wife, he tore the cane out of her hands, bent it in two, broke it, and flung it in the fire. Are you mad? What business had you to meddle with that stick? he growled between his teeth roger who was standing by his mother sprang forward and took the tongs to try and pull the stick out of the fire it had not yet begun to burn gabrielle stopped him let it burn she said almost bitterly your papa is right it is better it should never be found gaston terrified had a moment's indecision did he think of falling down at his wife's knees, or striking her to the earth, or of doing the same thing to his child? He staggered, recovered himself like a drunken man who is conscious of his drunkenness, and walking stiffly, went out to the salon and slammed the door. Gabrielle came very near fainting away. The presence of her son, however, kept her alive to the reality of her anguish. She only fell upon her knees, and clasping Roger tightly in her arms, she said a prayer in her heart that she dared not utter aloud. My God, my God, have pity upon him, have pity on his son. She burst into tears. The child looked at the cane, now burning, and asked himself, as children will, why his papa should have flung it into the fire and made his mamma so sorry. For the first time in his life he doubted the perfection of his father. This doubt did not harden his heart, but it made it beat faster. He felt springing up in him a new compassion for his mother, which expressed itself at once in passionate kisses, as weeping in his turn, he flung his arms around Gabrielle and cried, "'Don't cry, dear little mamma. Papa will never do it again.'" End of chapter 6